Unloose the goose. We'll take no use. Your paradigm's run out of time and we've got no use. Unloose the goose. Welcome to Unloose the Goose episode 15 where we have a frozen Xavier Hawk, we have Sal Mayweather, we have Jack Spearco and Nicole Sauce here showing you what we're drinking this evening. Um, what do you got, Sal? Perrier, sparkling Perrier. water. Perrier. Xavier, can you talk? Yes, I have got Kratom. Yes? What is that? This is Kratom. Kratom. Awesome. Kratom. I've got I've got nice bourbon on the rocks. Jack, what do you got for us? Uh, Millennial Zima. Known as White Claw, tangerine. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that sounds kind of girly. Yeah, it's it's like I've totally lost my man card from it. But <laughs> it's low carb, you know. Well, today we're going to talk about uh, countering the technocracy, counter technology, and the idea came from the technocracy episode that we did a few episodes again. I think it was episode was it twelve that we did that, and the idea that we can take tactical, practical steps in our lives to skirt around what is inevitable with what's happening technologically and in our society right now. And we just wanted to talk about things that, that we can really do because we're about solutions here. So starting with that in mind, I'm going to pick on Sal first. Sal. Uh-oh. What are some things you think that we should start implementing in our lives now to get around the technocracy control? Well, obviously, things that we've, you know, we speak about on this show, we've spoken about in the past, things like blockchains and 3D printers. <clears throat> um, I also like the idea of privacy coins, uh, tokenized securities and assets. All of these things are going to help us sort of get around this the but also things like aquaponics and, you know, technology just in general, I think, is a sort of decentralizing thing. It's sort of the trend in technology seems to be uh, individual empowerment and sort of disintermediation of these sort of sort of legacy systems. So any sort of technology that can disintermediate an existing system is something that I think we should we should consider and it's something that we should be excited about. And do you think we should be hiding under a rock and not participating in any of the online things or technological things that are happening? Like, do you see it as just separate completely from society or do you see a hybrid? No, no, I think we should embrace technology. You know, I, I, I don't I'm not one of these primitivist folks who thinks that technology is going to kill us. It can be used for good and bad. Right. And we see uh you know, they're using technology for things like this digital dollar, which they're just they just want to use to sort of control our purchases and control inflation and stuff like that. So it could be used for bad, but it could also be used for really good things. Right. Like uh, the Silk Road created the first truly free market, privacy coins, obscure transactions. So there's a lot of good things to be excited about. As I think there's more things to be excited about, in fact, than there are things to be uh, pessimistic about. Xavier, what are your thoughts on counter technology? So I land somewhere around where Sal was was just uh, illustrating for us. Like, I'm definitely not a primitivist. If we, I, I like those skills. I like having those skills. I like being able to live that way. Um, 
in case everything does go pear shaped. But um, there's a certain there there is a transhumanist kind of agenda that's happening where it's like, let's merge with the computers and, and that'll be great for everybody. And I remember seeing something that uh, Elon did recently where he was demonstrating the Neuralink and they had, uh, you know, the Neuralink is right. They cut a little part of your skull out and they stick a computer chip on there and you can now interface with your car or whatever. And the reason that they stated that they want to do this is build billions of these devices to solve neurological issues and, and uh, brain damage basically. And if you think about that, why would they want to unravel it for billions of people and whoever wants one if it's really to solve those things? It's really not. There's something else going on. So he trots out these pigs. And as the pigs are sniffing, they, they hear these little ding, 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 ding. And that's registering their, their brain waves. So when you take technology and, and, and they're like, look, the pigs are happy. You'll be happy too. It's like, this is clearly what they think of people, right? You know, in the sense that like, here you go. You are, you are little pigs. Um, take your technology and put it in your skull. That I think is the extreme, the other extreme of primitivism. I think that if we are not careful, we'll lose our humanity in this. And this goes with like the vaccines. Uh, if we want to talk counter technocracy, you know, like we should talk about vaccines a little bit. And, you know, some of the studies that have come out from the people that they tested them on, there's a lot of weird technology that's happening. That's trying to, you know, kind of like Luke Skywalker turning into Darth Vader. You know, so there's a balance somewhere. A lot of these great technologies will make our lives better, but used appropriately. Right. Like farming. If we have uh, really AI driven systems that can tell when weather patterns are going to come through, what time to plant, all of that. You know, that's really helpful. Uh, it's just a matter of the, the proper usage. OK, Jack, are we going to be bionic pigs? What's your thought? I'm not going to be a bionic <laughs> pig. I, I'm a pretty peaceful man. Uh, but when you go to cut a piece of my brain out and insert uh, microchips, that's when the 50 caliber starts roaring. Right. Uh, it's like there's there's body parts flying before that happens. Um, my view to the solution to this now is let's just start out with get the fuck off of these social networks and onto at least these alternative networks, man. I mean, because nothing prevents you from doing that. Nothing, yeah. nothing holds you back. And I'm not really talking to maybe this group that much because you guys, I understand why you're still there. It's why I stayed so long for years. I was like, you should leave, but I'm still there because you have a business and you're communicating with your market. But the average person, what are you doing? Because the yeah. only reason we're there as entrepreneurs, right, is because you're there. That's the, is there any one of you that's still using Facebook? that would be using it if it didn't benefit your business? Not me. No. No way. Right? So the only reason you're there is you have customers there, right? Mm -hmm. So the average person has no customers because they don't have a business. That's a problem to itself. So the only reason they're there is because they're addicted to it. And if you can't break free from Facebook and or Twitter, um, then how are you going to fight this stuff that's coming down the pike? Right. How how are you going to actually counter this stuff? Because what you're talking about with implanting things in your brain, do they really even need to do that when they have people on a dopamine response dog whistle? Where they know exactly how like I, I really hope everybody in this audience at this point has watched the social dilemma. And if you haven't, you need to like finish this episode and then go go watch that. 
Because when you understand what's actually being done to you through that apparatus, you'll realize that all of these uh, 1984 fears of what they're going to do to us, most of it's already happened, and people just don't have the courage or the fortitude or whatever the hell it is to to separate from it when nothing's preventing you. So what are you going to do when something is preventing you from making an alternate choice? That's that's kind of my call out to people as we, we start out tonight. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of funny that you bring up that social network thing because I had a conversation this week or over the weekend with somebody where I was just like super excited to be in Kansas because it's a constitutional carry environment, which meant I didn't have to worry about a permit. And I ended up in a really remote town and I stayed in this hotel that was built in 1905 and I was the only person in the hotel. The owners weren't there. Nobody was working there. I walked in through a door that was unlocked and then I had an interior 1905 era door. And I had a 45 by my bed. And I do not have a carry permit. So, you know, in other states, I can't do that. And so I post this up there and somebody just went after me. And it's it's a friend who's really worried. It's like a never Trumper. Okay. And he just like went for the jugular about something completely different than constitutional carry. And I was like, dude, I think you need to, you know, maybe take a month off. And then he got mad that I suggested he go off social for a month. And I thought, well, that's a sign right there that you're being controlled. I think when we feel anger about things that are little, that's a sign to us that it's time to take it. You're on the edge of a psychotic break. Like, dude, you need a timeout and a special brownie. That's what that dude needs. If you're out there, dude, go find a friend that has special brownies, eat one, turn, delete the Facebook app for a while and relax because you're flipping out on somebody over something that's not even related yeah. to what they're doing. And it sounds like you get a perfect, perfect situation going, except it was Kansas. I, mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. That's where the roaster's from. Oh, okay. <laughs> that, is that it. why you were yeah. there to get your new roaster? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. It's so I have people arguing on my Facebook feed all the time, and they'll, like, be nasty with each other. And I yeah. – I, I'm never nasty with anybody. And like to, to have to witness that, it may, I, like I've just been blocking people and I, I took a many, many months break and I, I erased all my Facebook posts and everything. Um, and I was like, I'm done with this. But at this time, you know, while I'm building up fire on, like I want to get that base, right? People who are going yeah. to use it, going to be interested in it. But I'm, I'm also weeding people out. I'm finding like, like what you're saying about. If you're triggered by some words on a screen that somebody's written from like a thousand miles away, like how are you functioning in all of this that's happening? How are you addressing it properly and thinking rationally if you're getting so upset about nothing? You know, the answer is completely differently, right? The people talk to people on social media in ways they will never do face yeah. Oh, yeah. because they're ass kicked. I pro, I mean, I've seen people. Like, totally. Dude, you, if you were in a bar in Minersville, Pennsylvania, you'd have had your ass whooped so hard. You'd have been drinking your beer through a straw because your jaw had been wired shut right. for a month, right? Like you can't be that way with people, but it's, it's their fault, but it's not their fault because the more I've learned about this, the more I've learned that you're being, and I hate the word because it's been so 
abused by the social justice warrior people, but you're being triggered into that response. Yes. Yeah. Right. Like, like you're, but, but it's, it's a very scientific. Yep. It's calculated. High psychological interface level triggering. And this idea that Musk had with wiring pigs, like that's just the next level. And, and my concern is people will willingly do it and then say, well, I don't really have an alternative. Well, how did people exist? Um, on another note that's related to what we're talking about tonight, my grandson is uh, spending the night tonight and we have him enrolled in a private institution called Excellus University. And they have these Wednesday night uh, videos that the, the, the teachers do that the kids have to watch if you want to pay less money. And since he has to pay the difference, if, if he doesn't watch it, he watches them. And one of the teachers said something tonight that freaked me out in a way. It was very encouraging, but it also freaked me out. He said, we have learned more scientifically in the last 20 years than we've learned for the rest of humanity. Yeah. And when I hear that, I'm like, that's cool, but I don't know if we're ready. That was my first. I looked at my wife and said, are we ready for that? And I don't know that we are. I think I think that's the plan. I think it's people are not spiritually developed enough with spiritually, whatever, like wisdom, however you want to describe it, to be able to address the level of technocracy that is being foisted upon us. We've out we've technologically outgrown our emotional maturity. Right. We have call it emotional maturity. Right. But we have emotional maturity as a species. <clears throat> it doesn't mean that there's not some of us that maybe are far more advanced than average, but you got the average and it's over here. It's really mm-hmm. low. And then you have this incredible technological capability. And it, it, what it makes me think of, I don't know how many of y'all have seen the, uh, the uh, Showtime uh, movie uh, called Harrison Bergeron based on uh, Kurt Vonnegut's work. Oh, yeah. the 60s. But th- that work was very divorced from the original short story. And it's, you know, a society where it's incredibly technologically advanced, but the people running the show are all dumbasses. It's not idiocracy. It's actually worse because there are smart people, but they're all sitting back in a control room controlling all the dumbasses. And if you're too smart, but not smart enough to go in the special group, they put a little band around your head and they dumb you down to fit into average. And I think the slogan was something like, while God did not create men equally, it is government's responsibility to render themselves. Mm. And that feels like where we're headed. So I think our solutions all need to be oriented around not interfacing with that matrix directly to where we're a, a node on that network. Because that's that what like we're the, really heading to be, right, is a node on the networks. That sounds like a quote from Lincoln, Jack. But um, <laughs> I'm just wondering if you guys are more overall, if you're more optimistic or pessimistic, do you, like, do you think it's more likely that we have a sort of technological dystopia or a technological utopia because i tend to think that technology is going to empower us and even though it'll empower the state i think at the end of the day i think it's going to sort of shoot them in the foot i think it's going to help individuals more than politicians what do you guys think i think what we're seeing right now is an attempt for control i think no everybody would agree with that to push us into a situation where it is a technological dystopia I think, however, that we are smarter than that as a species. And I've seen time and time again how c- controls through technology come in place through top-down government um, uh, push, right? 
And then what happens is within those confines, the smart people who don't want to be stuck there figure out ways around it using technology because it's developing faster than the government can keep up with it. So I think we have a really good opportunity for this to turn into a technological utopia. I think we have to be purposeful and mindful of not allowing ourselves to be controlled by the current situation. And at the same time, it, it is right to fear what's going on, right? You should feel something that is akin to fear about that because that's a motivator to be like, okay, I'm going to learn this cryptocurrency thing. I'm going to figure out the wallet and I'm going to start doing transactions that are completely separate from prying eyes. And I'm going to understand what is not separate in that whole thing. Cause you can see transactions on the blockchain. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, some blockchains. <laughs> yeah. Right. But Monero. Monero is not Bitcoin and, and people are starting with Bitcoin, right? Yeah. But that's onboarding, right? So like, yeah. it, what do you want to do? And then you can have cryptocurrencies like Dash where I can either be as public as Bitcoin or be as private as Monero, right? Like, so like the technology race, we can win. My question is, can we win it? Can we win it with the next and then the following generations? So and, I, I let think, me finish it, X, and then you yeah. what you think. Um, a year ago, I would have said probably not. Because the, the, the education system has the talent so deep in it. And our children and our, our grandchildren are being so conditioned to completely Pavlovian obey the state that it is horrifying when you think about this advance of technology and what's the next 20 years going to bring. Yeah. And then you put those two together in a confluence and it's terrible. Ironically, much like the internet was seen by the government as this is the way we'll control them. And like, holy shit, they, they took over, right? This is kind of what Nicole was saying. COVID may be the thing that has destroyed their ability to use that system to get total control of people because the number of people who have said, I'm just going to take my child out of the school system mm-hmm. has done this. Mm-hmm. It's not this, right? It's been doing this kind of just barely up for those that are. And then it kind of was like picking up and back and it was kind of up and down, up and down. And then COVID hit and it went parabolic, yeah. absolutely parabolic. The, the school we're using for my grandson, when, when like he started two weeks before it kind of everybody else did, because you start whenever you want. And then all of a sudden, like nothing was working. We called them we're like, we're sorry. Like forgetting everybody, like they were like, they have dedicated servers, you know, multiple, like they have their own um, data center. And they were having their systems crash by the sheer number of people. And that's just one outlet. So I think that maybe we will have this rebellion of youth. But it's it may ironically only be because of this thing they thought was their final gambit to take total control. Yeah. So there's there's they'll try again. There's three things in, in all of that. There's the state and that I think we've given a little too much credibility to the state, right? Not us, but in this conversation somewhat, because if you look at the technocracy that's coming in, you've got Twitter, Google, 23andMe. Uh, these companies are all owned by the same related family. Like Google, the guy who, uh, the woman who started YouTube or is the CEO of YouTube was married to Sergey Brin, I think. Um, it's like th- one degree of separation for all of them, right? 
now they have nothing to do with the state under the under other than they might have back doors for DARPA or whoever. But they individually, as a human, one person are making decisions that will affect billions of people. That is nothing like the state. That's even more terrifying. That's like 1950s sci-fi where the where the scientists, you know, learn how to take over the world and, and do so. Right. And in that kind of a case, it's almost like the state's on your side to try to stop that like diabolical fucking billionaire uh who the green goblin let's say right so there's there's that aspect to it that and yeah we we are able to stop that sort of thing competition in the marketplace the people will go where they feel best the other thing is we have um uh the the idea of building our new system based on self-reliance. The United States was able to happen because people were self-reliant. They didn't need the, the, the British government telling them what to do, when to do, and they, they could just make their own decisions. And they said, we're individuals now, right? Um, so that self-reliance, the more we can build our own food security, our own power security, our own decentralized transactional security, then we don't need their systems. Then we have power, but there has to be enough of us and there has to be enough of us organized in a way so that, that we don't get like overtaken by that. And then to, to Jack's point about the education, it's like we're looking at, you know, maybe 30 years before those people become active in the marketplace. We need to um, to to decentralize our economy and educate more and more people. And you're right. COVID really did that for everybody. People started researching all sorts of things and people are finding out about the things that we're discussing here and sort of waking up to that. And the amount of awakening, Nicole, really makes me feel like, yeah, there's every time we are faced with a. A threat since the dawn of time, it's been the end of the world. Something's going to happen that's going to kill everybody, right? And that this is just the next step in that, right? So, like, it looks really big and scary, but the ingenuity just here in this group and in our our Telegram chats, it's like, there are so many amazing people here, and the things that we can do together make me feel like, yeah, we're actually going to overcome this. And the fact that everybody's waking up to Anthony Weiner and the Hunter Biden and all the corruption and pedophilia and all this stuff, it's like, yeah. We can do this, but we have to be like united in it. Isn't that yep. a great example of how technology can sort of help expose them, right? Look at this Hunter Biden story, how he left all of this evidence on a laptop and eventually it got leaked to the public. Exposed you know, being the key word, right? What's that? Exposed being the key word. Yeah. No, no okay, keep going. <laughs> Bad joke. No, but that's just one example of how technology can sort of help empower individuals, right? Like another good example would be we were talking about Nero and blockchains, you know, a while back, I think it was earlier this year, maybe X can correct me if I'm wrong, but India was talking about banning uh, cryptocurrencies. And I can, I can, I can just see now if, if India or if the parliament or Modi, if they actually did go through with something like that and they banned cryptocurrencies, wouldn't there be like a flood of uh, activity moving from pseudonymous chains like Bitcoin into more anonymous chains like Monero? Yeah. So like, there's always uh, there's always a solution, there's always a technological solution to whatever sort of prohibition or regulation they throw at us. There's some sort of technology is there that's going to sort of you know help us and help the individual. Well, yeah. you know what you just said there, Sal, is uh, conversation seems unrelated because it wasn't direct technology related that I had with my brother-in-law as a cop, and we were talking about cannabis, and he was he was talking about how you know. Hey, when we were both like, cause he's like, yeah, I totally smoked pot in high school, even though he's done people up for, for it now, you know? Um, but it's not like, cause he's about my age, you know, he's like, it's not like when we were kids, it's so much stronger now. Bullshit, bullshit. But 
I said, okay, let's just assume you're right. And, and, and pot's so strong now, I'm gonna, I'm gonna toke up on a, on a one hitter and pass out and die. Let's just say that's true. You know whose fault it is? It's your fault. He said, what? I'm like, well, it's your fault. You guys had this regulation that said if I had less than an ounce, I got a ticket instead of went to jail. So the innovation became, well, how much can we put into an ounce as far as the active ingredient? Right, right. And that's something the state just doesn't seem to understand is whatever they do, all they do is push innovation beyond their restriction. And historically, when the state's been as benevolent as a state can be, where they have like a tariff or a tax or something, but it's very small, in general, it's worked out really good for the state. Their revenues go higher than any other period in statist history, and everybody just kind of goes, so I got to pay a 2% tariff? Well, fuck it. I'll, I'll, okay, and then nobody will bother me? Fine. And the more they, ra- they, get, they get greedy and they start ratcheting that up, and then you get smuggling. And so what we're actually talking about is techno-smuggling. When you, when you think about it, okay, so we invented Bitcoin and then Nicole wants to sell me something and I don't want to pay with cash and she doesn't want to pay tax, so I send her Bitcoin. So they get some Chinese company that figures out how to put sniffers on the blockchain and identify this address to this human. And therefore now we can start tracking and see every transaction and where it goes. So then somebody develops like coin mixing with Dash, but Then Sal uses it, and he forgets to use coin mixing when he sends a transaction that started from me to Nicole that went to him to Xavier, so that can still be tracked. So somebody's like, well, I'll just make fucking Monero, and then good luck, bitches. And then everybody's like, well, that's nice, but I don't really want to do that. But then when when the breath of the beast starts coming down on your neck, you're like, maybe I need to move some of my money to Monero. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't think that ever stops. And it was one of our original gaggle members who went off to do other things, Ben Armani, that said, I don't think the state can win a technology race. It can win any other arms race. But when people in a garage can get together and compete, and you have millions of them that can do that, I don't think the state can beat the people in, an, in a technology arms race. And I think that's one of the things he's dead on right about. Even with like quantum computing? I can have a quantum computer too. I mean, right? so if you can entry. take a quantum computer, hack my blockchain, I can make a blockchain built with a quantum computer. Yeah. Uh, right. I can, you could also like, oh, think about some of the, the crypto projects that failed, but worked. Uh, one would be called Eon. A-E-O-N was the ticker symbol on it. It's still there. It, it's worth a couple bucks. It's a privacy coin. It's actually very similar to Monero. But you mine it with conventional computer hardware. It, it, you can't even really mine it with G. You can mine it with GPUs, mm-hmm. but you don't get an advantage because as soon as the blockchain recognizes this is a GPU, it just like instead of like making it harder, it only gives so much. Slows down. It slows down what it will give. Hmm. So it's, you know, it's a CPU-based mining protocol, which was probably ahead of its time. There was no need to limit a cryptocurrency to CPU mining. But if you're going to get up to quantum, well, you could just take – so let's look at it this way. If there's a tank full of water and you put a hole in it, no matter how much suction you apply to that hole, there's a finite limit to how much water will come out through that hole. Right. 
So you can basically just go, okay, once you exceed this speed, I'm just going to slow down and not give you any more. Like, and if a dumbass redneck like me can figure that out, there's people way smarter than me involved with this stuff. So I don't think you're ever going to get to a point where government's going to be able to unleash a quantum computer and kill all blockchains. I, because they'll just, we'll just make new blockchains that work on different mediums. We'll, 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 we'll eventually, we'll develop cryptography that changes the password every five seconds, right? Like a quantum loop quick, uh, cryptography where both sides know the new password, but even if you're brute force attacking and mm -hmm. you get the right password, if you get it five seconds late, sorry, it's changed again. Right. Well, that's, that, that's what I was, you make an interesting point because, uh, Charles Hoskinson, who's one of the best photographers in the world who works at Cardano. I know Charles. I believe, uh, They're, they're planning on making Cardano. I don't think it is quantum resistant right now, but I think the plan is in the roadmap to have it be quantum resistant in the future. So they're already working on it, right? They don't even have the, the quantum computers haven't even developed, haven't even been developed to break the blockchain yet, but the cryptographers are in the cyberpunks are already working on preventing that from happening. So I have it on good authority that they already have, that there are, that they have quantum computers in the military that are already able to break any blockchain. And they, like I've been, I've been speaking with them about building, helping to build fire on, and they're like, yeah, the blockchain's already outdated. And the, I mean, the, the, this is like, you know, not widely known, but uh, so we've we've got you know a couple of years, I would say. Um, but yeah, as soon as quantum computing becomes like a stability thing that 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 is common to most of the big organizations, it's it's done for. I mean, and I think no, they're see, actually see building. What I said, it see what that. I said earlier, though, right? So if you've already built a technology. They can recognize a GPU and throttle back what it yeah. allows access to. You'll then, innovate. Then you already have the technology. Mm -hmm. That technology, like, so Eon is a, a, a shit coin basically. Uh, but it was a coin that it, it had everything right. It just wasn't necessary yet. Yeah. Yeah. Ahead of its time, let's say. Yeah. I wonder if, I wonder if, uh, yeah, if they can, if they can do that. I, I don't see why, why they wouldn't be able to throttle. Yeah, yeah. Why they wouldn't be able to throttle it back? I, if, if all only that's for mining. That's that's just for mining it. That's not for um, securing like privacy, like Monero. Oh, that's that's a totally different thing. Yeah. But isn't it, isn't it uh, interesting though? How and this is the beautiful the beautiful thing with the market is that there's so many cryptocurrencies. There's just a, a, an innumerable amount of them, and more are created every single day. So that whatever solution, whatever problem we have. Someone will be out there. The market will have some sort of demand and someone will satisfy it. They're going to create some coin to get around that problem. So that's what's beautiful about having such a, such a wide range of cryptocurrencies. And this is what Hayek was speaking about in his little write-up, the denationalization of money. This is the exact, the exact point he was trying to make, was the benefits of currency competition. You know what Bitcoin really did that makes it, worthy of keeping this incredible value that it holds relative to other coins to me is it in being the first it actually freed humanity and, and mentally from the concept that the private industry couldn't make money mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because everybody oh it's, it's too, how many how many of you are tired of hearing tulip mania right it's tulip mania it's how many years is it now like 14 yeah. or something right like you need to restudy your history and What I think it did for many people, I think it created more uh, agorists and anarchists and libertarians than probably anything other than maybe Ron Paul. Right. And that it, okay, if we can make our own money, 
then the banks no longer are in control or well, not. No, then what can't we do? What, right. what function of government is so complex that the private sector can't do it? If we can make a money yeah. that let's look at it honestly, like communist Chinese and communist North Koreans and anarcho people living in Acapulco all cooperate to make function willingly then what what function of government can we not perform the same way yeah that's a that's a big part of fire on somebody in the question were you just about to say that nicole somebody in YouTube? I was about to say the question you're about to say go for it yeah yeah they they're <laughs> asking uh is it even feasible to out tech the technocrats and that comes from Carrie Sutcliffe we I'm are not the sure the game is to out tech the technocrats is that the game uh i i think the supposition there is if we can create better technology than than the the cutting edge stuff then we get to to run things and i i don't know that that's technically fundamentally true i think what maybe what she's trying to say is is there is there a way out that we can create and i think that goes back to what jack was saying like and the ingenuity of the human species, you know. Well, that's that's where I was going with that is we're always thinking of a different way to do something mm-hmm. when our brains are engaged. And so what happens when any solution gets entrenched like an automobile? Like you have the confines of a car, it has right. tires, it has to use gas, right? Those are the confines of an automobile. And but it's all the confines of the mind, right? Because it's once the, the confines of the mind, the way I transport is the automobile. Well, maybe that's not true. Maybe you can strap a jet pack on your back and yeah. fly up and compete with airplanes at the LAX airport or whatever, right. right? And and the problem is when you have the tangible thing conceptually, by nature of the fact that you have made something that was not conceptual before a tangible item or a concept has been like, built into Facebook or whatever it is, the people who are on the quote unquote cutting edge of technology stop being because they've built their walls. And then you have all these other people who want out of it, who are trying to not have those walls. So can you out tech the technocrats? Eh, I'm not sure that's the question to ask. It's how are we, how are we building what we want? Can you side tech the technocrats? Yeah. I don't want to beat them. I just don't want to have to be part of their shit when I don't want to be part of their shit. Right? Like, oh, and by the way, when you said jetpack, every <laughs> single person listening right now, when we, when you're done, you need to make a note and you need to go Google or search on YouTube, where the fuck is my jetpack? And then you need to listen to that song from the 70s. It's, it's, yeah, <laughs> it, because we ain't got our jetpacks yet, and that's kind of what you're talking about. Like, there is a better way to do a lot of this stuff, and and we we do get bogged down. But what happens is, if you notice every major technological innovation that's ever occurred in in the history of humanity, has multiple geniuses that claim the other genius ripped them off. Mm-hmm. And when we take a clear, like I wish CJ was here tonight. When you take a clear, honest look. What you find is that these two people have an honest belief. Sometimes it's three or four, but you know, often two have this honest belief. The other person must have really ripped them off because what they've come up with is truly innovative and earth shattering. You know, if you look at going to the internal combustion engine and then 
transmissions in the modern vehicle, like, whoa, right? Or electricity or the steam engine or anything like that. These are, they literally shatter the fabric of our beliefs of what can and cannot be. Yet they seem to come up at the exact same time in different places. And with the exception of the space program where we both stole Germans to do it, in most instances, when you take an honest look at it, the two geniuses or three geniuses fighting about who did it first all did it independently. Yet they did it at the exact same point in human history because it was that idea's time to occur. Right. And that is, you know, that should, if you really understand the, 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 what that means, it should make your arm hair stand up a little bit. Because it literally means that there are things that will occur in the current of human history that will occur at a set time. And who does it is, 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 is random, but the occurrence is guaranteed. It's and almost like we're part we're of a headed. larger organism. That has its, own, it's almost like we're part of a larger organism that has its own lifespan, its own story. And here we are little nodes in that entire ecosystem, you know, all fulfilling, uh, parts of it and doing, doing things that we think are like unique to us because we're these individuals. When really, if we step back in a higher perspective, we'd see that like, wow, we're part of a story that we may or may not be aware of, but simply by being, we fulfill it. So there's this, there's this stand of aspen trees. It's in like Colorado and part of Wyoming. And it looks like all these thousands and thousands of trees and it's over tens of thousands of acres. And what science has determined is it's literally a single living organism. Yeah. It's really one tree meshed together. And in a lot of ways, humanity, that's what we are. Like as much as you think you're different from these people that you oppose, we have that common mesh together. And, and that's where we need to be clear in what we're trying to do when we say we're trying to win. What we're trying to do is maintain our autonomy. And this is going to sound weird as shit, but like maintain our autonomy and yet remain a node on a network that's inseparable. Mm -hmm. Like we, we can't be completely and totally apart. Uh, we can't dominate the whole thing because then we're just the master node. Mm -hmm. So we have to remain connected yet have our independent capabilities. Uh, so like, being in the matrix without being in the matrix, if, if that makes any sense. I think, uh, I, I think Nicole really hit, hit the nail on the head here in regards to this question about techno technocrats. It's really, it's all about efficiency, right? I mean, look at what, um, have you guys seen what PayPal just, just announced today, how they're going to start accepting cryptocurrencies? Yeah. Yes. And of course, you know, Everybody, if you sign, if you have a PayPal account, you're heavily steeped and in, in know your customer laws. The, the state knows who you are. They know all the transactions you make. That's the exact opposite of why we have cryptocurrencies. That's we have Bitcoin to sort of get rid of that whole KYC nonsense. So we see the state sort of trying to take a step backwards and sort of trying to do damage control. But the fact that you can still interact in the blockchain without having to go through those KYC processes shows that. We sort of are naturally out technoing the technocrats. Another good example would be Jack was speaking about like space exploration, how we saw the Nazi scientists, but like in the beginning, you know, rocket technology was used to bomb Britain, right? It was the, the what was it, the V2 bombs, right? But now today, what, less than a hundred years later, Elon Musk is trying to terraform Mars and, and use the, the same technology to, to spread life. So eventually I think, uh, 
like I said, I, I think it's going to empower individuals. Gusto wants to wire you up like a computer program pig, though. Apparently, like a pig. I don't have, you know, so I, I don't have, I don't have a problem with that as long as we're just, just wiring the politicians as pigs. Okay. <laughs> okay, let's call the It's a good call, actually. Okay, well, <laughs> but let's get practical here, okay? If you want to separate from the technocracy by using cryptocurrency, what practically should you do? Because I know some people like in the comments are all up on cryptocurrency. Other people are homesteaders who have never touched a Bitcoin. So if you're using, I mean, I've never touched touched one, but still. Yeah. So if you're using Coinbase in the early days, they didn't report you to the IRS. Now they do. Um, And now the early days on Cash App, you can buy cryptocurrency with a credit card and it's not yet part of the IRS reporting process, or at least they're not you know, handing over your documents yet. So there's still, if you, there's still like that, that went one way in. You can also go buy Bitcoin, you know, from, from people in person using something like localbitcoins.com if it's still running well. Um, yeah. there are many networks where you can find those people who are willing to trade. I don't know if I told this story in, uh, I was in London at this really nice, nice club. I was there hanging out with the owner, very posh and, uh, but you know, edgy and fun. And, um, there was a guy, one of, one of our investors, he was there and he's like, yo, I need to trade in $10,000 worth of crypto Bitcoin for cash. Right. He's like, do you know anybody? So I was, I reached out and I found somebody and homie runs up into the club, posh club wearing a track suit. Right. And like, just looks straight up like a London drug dealer. Um, and he comes in and he's like, yo, yo, where do you want to do the deal? Da 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 da. And, um, <laughs> and so, I asked my my friend, the owner, I'm like, do you have a private room? And he's like, yes. And I'm like, does it have a money counter? And he's like, did you just bring a drug dealer into my establishment? And <laughs> I mean, it looked really like that, right? But there are ways that you can do it. And, and homie did. He, he went into the back room, counted out $10,000 in cash, traded the coins right there, you know, like from one phone to the other while the other's sitting right there, and then and then bounces. And um, it was really uh, like a, a fun story. You had to be there. But there are ways that you can get crypto and or out of crypto at like a gray market kind of thing like that, you know, and that will always exist. Um, you just have to know people and be able to, to network with them to find that there. And there are ways online that you can do so. So cash app is one of those where you can still purchase and not have it yet reported. I I think beyond um, the tracking thing, like avoiding tracking of everything you're doing, a reason to start using crypto in your day-to-day transactions with people is that you establish a market relationship with people that is not controlled by the government or not controlled by the state in that they can't just say, I just sucked all your money out of your your account and you can't do anything. They can't do that with crypto. If you have more contacts, that's like setting a foundation for Future market transactions, supply chain, working around supply yep. chain problems just because everybody does it. So the more people who can transact with cryptocurrency, the better off we all are because we know how to do it and we've already got the relationships in place. Yeah. To, to get around government regulations and prohibition and uh, use it for that purpose, but also use it and become your own bank so that you you lessen the demand for fiat currency and increase the demand for sound currency this is this is how we're going to end the fed right we're not going to end the fed by uh 
going door to door and asking people to call their congressmen to support the order of the Fed bill for the fifth time, right? That's not how you're going to end the Fed. You have to actually engage in these sorts of things and use these sorts of currencies, alternative currencies, as opposed to this fiat shitcoin. Yeah. Which, by the way, USD is the true shitcoin. Yeah. Absolutely. But I'll say, like, the number one way that I've acquired cryptocurrency of any kind is people buy something from me. It's the best way. Cryptocurrency, yeah. right? So, okay, track that. No KYC that, involved. Yeah, right. that's that's way more complicated for them to track. Like, they might even figure out that Bill uh, sent me $35 worth of Bitcoin. There's a point where you can't, as a government entity, waste your time and 35 right. bucks going to a single address one time and nothing else ever going to that address. So even with something as, as low-tech as a Jack's wallet, where every time somebody wants to pay me, I generate a new address, That's that that, that already is beyond complicated. Um, PayPal just announced today they're going to start doing cryptocurrency. And somebody and said that sounds like a great jump. way for the government to track you. And I was like, Sounds like a great way for me to get more cryptocurrency. Yep. That's all it sounds like to me. Like, Jack, do you accept like, USDT? I'm, I'm already paying tax on all the cash that I accept through PayPal anyway. Right. But what's important with cash, in my opinion, as an entrepreneur, because I leverage cash, is not paying tax on it when I first get it. It's how many times am I going to leverage it and how many times am I going to pay a tax on the leverage, right? So, so I make a dollar. Most people think of it that way. I make a dollar. I give the government a quarter. I get 75 cents. I look at it this way. I get a dollar. I spend 50 cents. I pay tax on 50 cents. I actually still have 75 cents, and I'm going to leverage that to make another dollar that I'm not going to pay tax on. And, and that kind of, you know, state level jujitsu, as I call it, is where you got to start thinking and start a work. Because what, what happens is every good thing that comes out that we can take advantage of, people that think they're thinkers piss all over it. They're, they're doing it right now. I see you people right there, right yeah. there in the YouTube chat. You're <laughs> pissing on all the things that could be liberating you yeah. because all you want to see is problems. Stop doing that. I'm tapping the screen. Stop doing that. <laughs> Start so, using but, this. We all use this stuff right now. And eventually, people are like, well, eventually they'll, they'll, they'll overcome that. You're correct. They will. And we will have harvested from it for years. We, you've been telling us they're going to do this to Bitcoin for 13 years. Ooh. And the people you're looking at on the screen, we've been enriching ourselves right. for those 13 years. We're already positioned elsewhere. Yeah. And when they finally, after maybe 20 years, catch up, we're not there, but we used this thing. Yeah. People are so afraid to use anything, and then they use the most exposed thing, which is the U.S. dollar, which is, like Sal says, the true shit coin. Stop being afraid and freaking man up and grow up and woman up and do shit. Like, go out and make this stuff happen because these tools are here now, and there, there are people who made millions renting VCR tapes. Did the VCR tape eventually, you know, become an outdated technology nobody used? Absolutely. But the guy you laughed at because he was renting out an outdated technology in the end, he already made his money, then he rented out DVDs, and then he got in the digital music business, right? Like, you have to take advantage of whatever tech is the latest tech while it's here 
capitalize on it and already be planning the next level instead of bitching about why this won't eventually work. Of course it won't eventually work. Who cares? I'll be done with it by then. Okay. Yeah, so, Go ahead. No, I was just saying people are pointing out something that's crucial about the whole PayPal thing. And really the PayPal thing is, is taking Bitcoin more into the public domain. But if you send Jack Bitcoin, uh, he'll actually get USD. What, what PayPal is doing is they're recognizing the upside, keeping the cryptos for themselves. So it's better to just bypass them, learn how to use crypto for yourself and yeah. do that. Jack, do you accept Tether as payment? Uh, no, I would. Right. If someone so, wanted to use USDT, I would accept it. Yeah, yeah. But I don't because nobody wants to use it for that purpose. Yeah, it's it's surprising. Right? Like most, I, of the time, I wouldn't say I don't use USDT. There's this you know kind of way to trade money that's not inside the government system. Yeah, USDT is a great place for me to um, recognize a high point, exit, and hold. Yeah, yeah. And then go back in, but it's not. Nobody uses it to transfer wealth. Right. And there's some fundamentals there and that's because nobody really trusts it. They trust it in the, in the, in I the, trust it for the five minutes I need in the float, right? Exactly. That's, that's exactly. But the, it's a, it's occurred to me like what we need is a stable price, stable price trade instrument, right? But that's actually back that we can count on it having uh, a stable price for a while. And then people will, you'll see the velocity of the currency spend way up because people will actually be comfortable spending it rather than holding it and trying to, trying to make money on it. People still look at Bitcoin and all these other things for the most part. I'd say 30% are using it for transactions. For the most part, everybody's using it as a as an investment vehicle, as an alternative to stocks, like the new kid stocks. Yeah, I mean, that's what everybody sees Bitcoin as. And I, like I know Sal's preferred currency is actually Bitcoin Cash. Yeah. And there's no doubt it works better. Mm -hmm. Like if I want to send Sal money, there's no doubt that Bitcoin Cash works better, but... Bitcoin holds value better, right? Yeah. Like, like my money is safer there. See, my whole philosophy there is that you need an efficient medium of exchange, right? The only way you're going to, there is no difference between money and a medium of exchange. So if you want to have an efficient alternative to U.S. dollars and to fiat currency, you want to get people to use alternative currencies, but you can't do it with something that's not an efficient medium of exchange. And when the, Bitcoin network gets too congested, then the network fees get too high and it becomes less efficient. Uh, so you need something like with bigger blocks or something like that that moves a little bit quicker, which is why I like Bitcoin Cash. But really, I'm sort of agnostic. If we woke up tomorrow and Dogecoin had successfully disintermediated the Fed and we were all on a Dogecoin stand, <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Dogecoin maximum. Totally going to happen. That, that is a technolo no, technocracy it, utopia right there. Yeah. Right. At this point, if it did, okay, I'm moving over. Right. 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 Exactly. You know, here's the thing is that, and this is where Bitcoin, people compare it to gold and people say those people are stupid. And, and they mainly are, even though they're right, they're doing it wrong. And, and the reality is every currency is a derivative of something. Yeah. Uh, at one time, U.S. currency was a derivative of silver and gold. Now, U.S. currency, the U.S. dollar, is a derivative of United States debt. Right? It has to have every medium of exchange has to have something it's a derivative of for it to. So, no matter how easy it is for me to hand you a dollar, because I could like sit right here now and go, you know what? One Jack. Yeah, but dollar, that, right? 
And there's nothing that makes it any harder for me to hand this to Nicole than handing her uh, a George Washington, right? There used there's to nothing be. that makes it any harder, but because it is a guaranteed, serial numbered, hard to counterfeit derivative of U.S. debt that we've all collectively emotionally and, 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 and mentally bought into, it works. And what actually makes all these other currencies work right now, no matter how shitty it is as a medium of exchange, is Bitcoin. The fact that I can move my Dogecoin into Bitcoin makes it worth mining Dogecoin. Yeah. Right. I, I mind, I still mine some currency today. It's, it's all crap, but it's like, I figure out this day and I turn all these miners on this one place. What's going to get me the most value, not in dollars, but in Bitcoin. And so I mine this shit and then I turn it into Bitcoin. That's, that's the whole mining operation right now. Like everybody who's mining because they're not the big Chinese conglomerates, they're mining all these altcoins. And then they're, tra as soon as they can, they trade them into to Bitcoin. So it is like the standard. For all crypto, we don't trade it into tether. No problem. We trade it in a Bitcoin, right? No, this yeah. is just tether, one... It's a holding pattern. It's very brief. No But currency it... that that is tied to the whims of a central banker like tether should be considered a, a stable coin in my mind. Right. That's exactly. And stable that's for a day. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's very stable. Or for an hour. When I see it's as stable as Jerome Powell's mental condition is. Correct. <laughs> when I mean by stable, when I say it, I mean okay. So when I see complete irrationality, and Bitcoin make a, an irrational eight hundred dollar leap in a day, and I go, you know what, I'm going to take twenty percent of my holdings, and I'm going to pull out. And I'm going to wait for that to come back, and I'm going to buy it back. The right. best place for me to go is USDT. That's the only fuck. And there'll be a day where I go, nope, don't trust it no more. But for now, for that brief period of window, for that trade, and it's people would go like, that's going to wear out, and and that's what I'm back to. Of course it will. Of course it will. But right now it works. Yes. So the so the barrier okay, so to entry. Sorry, go ahead, Nicole. I was going to transition because we've been talking yeah. about cryptocurrency for most yeah. of this, and yeah. that is just one tactic. Right. We have yeah. other tactics. So let's shift from you can use cryptocurrency, which has the benefits of it, it actually helps you establish a network of people who can mm -hmm. transact outside of the technocracy, and it's also getting you out of the central banking. What about producing rather than consuming that's that's something i mean it, it it has nothing to do with computers it has mm -hmm. nothing to do with technology but when you are able to produce or make something that in itself is outside the technocracy what do you guys think of that idea perp island uh an economist at oklahoma state has a good little write-up on this uh He's got an article. Everyone should read it. I highly recommend it. Uh, I think it's called a strategy for pushing back. And he, he describes, he breaks counter economics down into two different types, uh, the vertical and the horizontal strategy. So he says part of that half of it is creating local production facilities. And the other half of it is just a sort of peer to peer, you know, voluntary exchange. But the, the creation of the local production facilities absolutely key to agorism because you're, you're bypassing state regulations like, Even if it's not technologically adept, if something like a chicken coop is a, is a good example of like a local production facility. But 
in terms of like, uh, you know, te- technologically inclined local production facilities, I like things like 3D printers and aquaponic machines. I like tokenization mints. All of those are, are pretty good examples, I think. Yeah, I mean, and this is producing something like this. This exactly. squash that I'm holding up <laughs> is bigger than my head. And if I had only this to eat, oh, oh, squash competition with Jack Spearco. If I had only this to eat for a day, I wouldn't finish it, right? Yeah. So when you're producing something like very tangibly growing your own food or taking some of these steps to get non-reliant on markets, I think that beats the, what can the technocracy do about my squash? Right. Why do you guys just have squash laying around your computers? (laughs) (laughs) Hi, man. You don't? You have squash around your computer. That's the question. That's the problem, Sal. Yeah. Yeah. Why why don't you? So I agree. I think providing a service like 3D print this bitch. Yeah. Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> Sal, do you think uh, 3D printing will get to a point where you can go up to the wall and ask for a, like a salami sandwich and it'll be able to 3D print food? Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. They're already starting. You can or There's a 3D printed steak if you look it up. It's not like sort of widespread, but 3D printed food is, is uh, already here. Yeah. It's just a matter of I'm not ready for that. Wildly That's Star Trek shit. And yeah. it's not just uh, food. You can 3D print anything, right? We, I think we spoke a little bit about this. But you can 3D print organs and houses, and uh, you can yeah. use 3D printers on your farm and all kinds of applications. Yeah. I mean, the you, long-term you, plan is that you literally will be able to 3D print an organ. You'll be able to get a person's complete geno and uh, genotype right. and print a perfectly matched organ with no rejection. Like, yeah. So that's kind of that techno utopia that we could get into. And know, the FDA, right? What is the FDA going to do when all of a sudden you don't need to go to a surgeon, right? Now you can just print out your, a new ear in your basement, right? Well, I think you <laughs> still need a surgeon to install. Like you need, like you can have the part, but you need the mechanic. The right? needs to install like, your ear. An ear, like maybe you could pull off an ear, but if you need your heart replaced. There's going to be, well, a robot or a human that, that actually does that. So you could get to a point where. Fine, though. You never robotics. know. What happens, what happens when humanity is educated uh, and self-determined and understands its place in the cosmos and doesn't need a nanny state or FDA or any organization to tell them what they can and can't eat or what they can and can't consume? Like, how do we get there? That's how we defeat the technocracy or the fear of the technocracy is if we get to a point where everybody is educated, where we take the baseline that you were talking about, Jack, that's way over here and move it to where, you know, then we're, we're ostensibly we are, at least, you know, we think we are. I think that if we, if we get that baseline up, you know, the, the, the central bell curve and move it a little bit to the, to the right or the left to, to bring it more into alignment with understanding our place in the cosmos, understanding our responsibility and how we live in the ecosystems that we do, then those states, they don't need to exist. So they have a, they have a stake in keeping us dumb. And so like shows like each of you have and bringing education to people and helping them become more self-empowered, more educated to make good decisions for themselves, choosing what medicine they want for themselves. You know, that's, that is the key. How do we turn the technocracy into that? Well, I, I want to be that optimistic. Yeah. I really do. And there are people around today that are way advanced beyond anybody that was around, let's say, in 1900. 
Yep. With, with some notable exceptions like an Einstein or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. However, if I gave you no other information than this, you can have a person randomly chosen from any part of the United States today to help you from right now, or you can have a person the same age from 1890 in the United States, and you, you're going to be in a situation where you actually have to deal with real shit, who would you pick? And I think most people are like, I'll take the motherfucker from 1890 because, yeah. right, like there's a million things that person can actually do that a yep. lot of people that consider themselves highly educated educated today can't. Yep. And so we can have technology, but if we, as technology advances, if human capability falls, mm-hmm. that's where we end up with a real problem. Idiocracy. A lot of us mock our teachers who said we would never have a calculator everywhere we went because now we have a calculator everywhere we went. Right. But are we not better off that we grew up without one everywhere we went? And now we have one. Like, that person is switched on. We can use that calculator with manual mathematics, and we can do these great things. Will our grandchildren be that? Because they never they never didn't have the training wheels. Right. You see what I'm saying? Like, that's my concern. That we will we ever will we be so emasculated? That's not the right word. I don't want to be woke or whatever, but uh, accumulated, right? Like accumulated. by technology, like because like we we have so much capability as individuals. You think about you take a human who has basic survival knowledge, drop them in the woods, and they can make fire, they can make weaponry, they can make cordage, they can make cutting mm-hmm. tools, right. right? Like no matter how quantum your computer gets, we're a lo- I think we're a long way off from that. Yeah. Like, I can tell the computer to make me a cutting tool, Sal, and it'll print me one. But without me, you drop your 3D printer in the middle of the Amazon, all you get's a hole. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm so still far. struggling with you can print a steak. Let's <laughs> <laughs> see, once we have like artificial you intelligence. Print a steak. Like, you, you, you can't make meat from not meat. Right. But not yet. But once we have artificial intelligence, who knows what's possible? I'm not saying that, you know, it's around the corner. It might be, you know, 200 years off. But like you were saying earlier about how the pace of of technological growth accelerates and it sort of grows exponentially and not in a linear fashion. I'm I'm, I'm really optimistic that we're going to get to that point in time sooner rather than later. I think that we're going to be amazed at where technology is at at the end of our lives. Agreed, but you got to check out this movie called Colossus, The Forbin Project from the 1970s. It is a stellar movie about AI. It was one of the first movies about AI. And the, the whole thing is, is this brilliant guy working for the military develops AI and your, your quintessential like trope of the AI takes over, right? But what it does is it forces peace, logical peace onto the planet by taking control of everything. And if you do not do what it says, you're not being peaceful. And then, you know, you're eradicated. And it's, it's like, you know, 1970s or 50s. Who decides what peaceful is though? What's that? Who decides what peaceful is? It's It's, my giant squash that's bigger than your squash. Right. Hey. And therefore I must be eradicated. Don't diss the squash, man. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, fine. You win. Now you get eradicated. Yeah. Basically, so it, it, the, the idea of AI is like both a good thing in that respect, Sal, I would say, in that we have, 
what wonders can we discover? How can we travel the stars? How can we extend our lifespan? How can we, all of these wonderful things, right? But then you have like, what happens if you become a transhumanist, upload yourself in your consciousness into a computer simulation that another human has created or an AI that a human has created and you live forever in this, in this utopia, but with the same memories over and over forever in like a limited sphere. Like that's, that's like hell, right? Like, Eternity in suffering, you know everything, like that's hell. Like the, the idea that we live here and like die, you know, if we're reborn or whatever, we don't remember everything. Remembering everything prevents us from having this, ex this, this experience or discussion, you know? So if we go and build that, you know, it, it could be super bad. But if we maintain our individuality, like what Jack was saying, finding that balance, you know, I think my point here is that AI could be very good and it could be very bad, but it comes to where our wisdom is in that. Where do you see practically integrating barter into our lifestyles to get around the technocracy? It's really hard to stop barter, isn't it? Well, it comes to it anywhere possible, right? Yeah. I but always it comes accept barter. Even when I feel like I'm not getting the full value of it, I tend to accept it. When somebody's like, I want to barter for MSB. Like, what do you got? And if it's not stupid, like, I'll give you a hug, like, oh, okay, I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll probably say yes to it. I always have. I think the inherent limitation of barter is why money exists. Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily have what you want when you want All it. Time. Yeah. Right. So if I'm a hairstylist and really you shouldn't let me cut your hair, but if I was good at it, Uh, you know, I could cut Sal's hair. I could pull that off. <laughs> but like Xavier and Nicole, y'all shouldn't let me know where near your hair. But if I was no good worries. at it and you need your hair cut once a month and I live near you, we can probably work something out. You only really need one side of the equation to have a constant, consistent need for barter to work because you probably have something mm -hmm. that I'll take. And if nothing else, some form of money because it may not... Like, is it, is it a cash transaction if I say to Xavier, yeah, dude, I can cut your hair, keep you with that godlike Adonis thing going on you got going on there, but I don't want dollars. And you say, well, I'll, I'll give you, um, two ounces of silver every month. And maybe a half ounce is a tip if you do a good job and don't fuck my hair up. Mm -hmm. To me, that's still barter, but it's money. Yeah. Yeah. It's money and it's barter. Yep. And I think that's where things like PMs come in. Like you, the, the hard thing with barter is like Nicole might love the figs that I grow in my backyard, but I only have them one month out of the year. So I yeah. think you should do the direct barter whenever you can, but you should really expand your horizons to what barter means. It just and means then, not using their shit. And then yeah. what? Well, and you can do indirect barters too, where like I trade to Brian for something and then he trades to Jack for something and then Jack gives me something. And then we might But have all of that requires like, say, I owe Nicole this much. Yeah. And then we're back to money. Yeah. And But then, then what is trade? That's how money came. Like, so I would owe Xavier money, but people knew I was good for it. So I would write Xavier, I owe you, you know, five lumps of silver by March 10th. 2021 and I would give him that and he'd be like that's good dude I know you you have a stellar reputation you'll pay me and then Sal's like bitch where's my money you owe me money Xavier and Xavier's like I don't have any money right now but I can have the money by March 
and, 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 and so I was like, how can I know that? Well, Jack gave me this IOU. Uh-huh. Right. And, and, and Sal's like, tell you what, I won't break your knees. If you give me the IOU, because I know Jack's good for them. I don't know you're good for the money, but I know Jack's good for it. And that's how we got money in the first place. Mm-hmm. The concept that this bank or this institution or this emperor was good for the IOU, because that's all money actually is. Unless you have, if, unless you have the ounces of silver, all you have is an IOU. Our entire monetary system we have today is predicated, well, outside of crypto, is predicated on IOUs. Well, this, the, the solution is a cooperative thing where you don't have to intermediate with the, with the state, where we have our own company together and we're trading in bartering, but we create an instrument to do that. And it's managed by all of us. And we have, you know, it's asking, money. there's well, there there are As trees, we use the term. Yeah, the, money. But it's really like an internal accounting mechanism, like like uh, and you, what money is. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But you got, you know, uh, uh Time dollars, you know, it, it's backed by something. It's really just a, a, uh, you know, a representative instrument, which is what money is, right? The U.S. dollar is a monetized debt, right? But if we have different currencies, all like we have, we have gotten rid of the banks, right? We, we have broken the barrier of entry and it's freed everybody's mind to say we can be self-empowered. We can create new systems. This shitty thing that we've been living under tyrannically for however many thousands of years doesn't have to exist the way it does. Let's build it anew. We now know the tools how to do that. But, okay. Go ahead. We have to talk about vaccines now. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. I'm not bothering for a vaccine. No You're way. Not, Did okay. You so, so we're looking at a situation where it, it, it looks like they might try to make the vaccine a thing. And by a thing, I mean they might try to limit travel. I'm not sure they're going to get away with it, and they're not sure they're going to get away with it. That's why exactly. it's hard to see where it's going. But let's what if for a moment. What if in order to get on a train, an airplane, go into a movie theater, get into a shopping mall, if people still go to those things, like what if you have to prove you've had the vaccine for COVID? Turning into Tom Hanks from Castaway. I'm, I'm removing myself from society if I have to. I will probably I'm, go to I'm work. I'm saying there were people that walked right past Nazis by showing them papers that were made by somebody else and went to Switzerland. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, I think if they do that, it's kind of where I'm like, well, YouTube and Google and all these people actually ban all the people they say they're going to ban because if you did that, then all the alternatives would actually take off. Yeah. yeah. So, like, if you want to do that, that's fine. There'll be a massive market for counterfeits. If they do the whole thing with the gel, that's like the thing that looks like they're going to do where they do a gel and they can shine a light on you. Yeah, and yeah. See, like, I can make my freaking skin glow with some dots. Yeah. I, I actually don't even, I don't even need an e-course on how to do that. I can do that tomorrow. If you just tell me how big they are and what they need. And I, now you're going to tell me that the, uh, the uh, the seven dollar an hour person working at the Walmart as a greeter can determine whether my dots are like I'm sorry you know they're not the person at the mint that can look at that sheet of hundred dollar bills and pick the one out with a flaw in it it's it's not happening like you do that and you're gonna get this massive market of counterfeit credential yeah is what I think will happen there um, well and that's my question is the counter technology approach counterfeit 
or is it opt out? I or think it's something it, yes. else. I think there'll be a war at that point. You know, in in the United States, you cannot mandate a vaccine unless there is nothing else that will work. And right now there's like at least three other things that will work. Um, And for those of us who think clearly, there's no need for it. Right. The 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 problem is, is you need to have a massive enough, at least three percent of the population saying no. If if the rest of the world does it and you can't travel, you know, you're still going to have some morons doing that. And they might have to for their business or for work or whatever. Uh, so maybe they're not morons. Maybe they're very intelligent, but they feel like they have to. But there's there's the studies that came out with people who have gotten this vaccine already. And they're like saying, I can't feel God anymore. Like when when something is that intense, like there's there's something else going on, kind of like Tesla's thing or, or Musk's things. Like we're going to create billions of it, even though it's only necessary for like one percent of the population. <clears throat> When 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 people say I can't feel God anymore and then there's a CIA briefing, you know, a few years ago that come out saying this is how we get rid of the God gene. It's like there is something within human nature that strives towards the divine, that strives towards beauty, that strives towards expansion and, you know, inspiration. And when you remove that, then you have animals. Right. And, And we're just more sophisticated animals. And we have like a real farm. That is the existential like threat of of the the technocracy taking over. But if we in the United States have things that prevent this or uh, treat this or cure it, as the president said, then they can't mandate it by law. So we're not going to have it. And if that's the case, then the rest of the world might try to mandate it, or they might try to do some, some of the math parts. bullshit. Some yeah. What's that? Some parts thereof, I think, may do it. Like, you can't come to our country. Right. Your passport is null and void unless you have the COVID vaccine stamp or whatever. Right. Fucking good luck in your economy. Solutions. There's going to be a lot of solutions that need an immunity certificate. Well, I'll go get COVID. Right. I don't need a vaccine. But. Yep. And I think there would be enough people that would fight, and it, then we'd see, like, an actual kinetic war over this. So I, I don't think that that I don't think that they have very high chances of actually succeeding with this whole vaccine. Always look to the past for the blueprint to the future. So every year I hear from a couple hundred listeners, at least I don't want a flu shot, but I got to get a flu shot. What? And I think that's your blueprint for COVID in the United States. Like what will happen is, well, I don't want to get a flu shot, but I'm a nurse. The hospital said, if I don't get a flu shot, I can't come to work. Mm. Um, how many people have their children vaccinated because they they can't get them into school? Um, and I think what you might have is insurance companies saying we will not cover any condition that was contributed, not caused by, but contributed to by a case of COVID. If so, you can have your insurance, Xavier. I'll provide you your insurance. But if I determine that your COPD was made worse when you got old because you had COVID when you were 43, I'm not covering it. You're on your own for that. And everything connected to it, you're on your own. And I, I think there's a lot of people would go, well, here, I'm not, yep. I'm not doing it anyway. I don't care. But I think you're going to get the vast majority of people are going to go along to get along. Most people get their flu shot. And I, people say, you know, there's only like 50% compliance with flu shots. I don't think that's the right number because I think the majority of people that don't get their flu shots, they just, it's not like they have the opportunity to get their flu shot. I've never had anybody go, hey, hey, come over here and get your flu shot. Like, 
That doesn't happen unless you go to the doctor in flu season or your workplace brings it in. Most people, like, the reason they don't get a flu shot is no one shows up with a needle. Mm-hmm. But I think most of this country, I know a lot of people are going to disagree with me. I think most of this country, if there was a person, a little black bag that showed up at everybody's workplace and said, it's time for your flu shot, I think most people would go, holy shit, really? Yeah, but notice how agorism provides a solution for this, right? If, if your job makes, makes, it, makes it a requirement that you get vaccinated, become an entrepreneur. Correct. Right? If your school requires your children, get it homeschooled. Whatever the, 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 whatever, whatever move they make, the agorists are ready with the counter move. We're, we're there. We've got the solution. It's just a matter of implementing it and putting it into practice. Yeah. And it takes a certain, how many people are What's, what is the percentage of entrepreneurs in America? I would say 3%. But what was it? What was it about, let's say, 1790? What percentage of Americans were entrepreneurs of some level? I would imagine maybe it was, it was probably a little bit higher. If you think about we had like a sound monetary system. A little. I'm not sure, though. I would say that it was probably somewhere in the 80 percentile versus the 3 percentile now. Well, if you ca- count agricultural and farming. Tell yeah. me a farmer that's not an entrepreneur. <laughs> exactly. Like outside of their, like if the guy grows corn, show me a man that grows corn for a living that does nothing else to make money. I dare you. Right, right. I dare you. A farmer is a real estate investor. <laughs> They're an engineer. They, every farmer I've ever, every farmer and rancher I've ever known in my, my life has had massive side hustles. They're the guys that you go up to and they look broke. Like I know one guy in East Texas. He looks broke. He has five deer leases that make him more money than I, a year than I'll probably ever have in my life. We have a law in Texas. Just, I don't remember exactly what it is. There's a certain amount of cash. If you carry it on your person and you get pulled over by the police, There's... And you don't have insurance on your vehicle, you demonstrate financial ability to pay. And out of pure freaking spite, this man carries around this amount of cash with him. And when they go, where's your insurance? He throws the money on his hood and dares them to try to seize it with civil asset forfeiture. Nice. And he is like the guy from um, that song by, it's like Montgomery Gentry, buy your car with $100 bills or whatever. He's that dude. He's in like bib overalls and shit. Yeah. Like, I think that in the early part of this country, most of us were entrepreneurs. So I do think it's in our DNA. Mm-hmm. We have the potential. The question is, there's a shitload of human potential we haven't realized. Will, will we realize it? Yeah. And a lot of that goes back to the sort of, you know, I probably sound like a, like I'm repeating myself here, but a lot of it goes back to the whole use of fiat currency because using fiat currency makes people artificially increases your time preference. It makes you more likely to think about satisfying the now rather than delaying consumption for the future. And as a result of that, we're more likely to, oh, it's just easier for me to go get a job at the Walmart down the street than for me to think, you know, about building a business and take these long-term measures that take years and, and years and years to uh, to bear any fruit. So I think a lot of it goes back to the central bank and, and, and fiat currency. But also that entrepreneurial mindset. Because it, I think in order to push a business with that long-term mindset, you you have to let go of what you've been taught is the way you're supposed to live. 
Like yeah. we all grow up or not, maybe not all of us, but you grow up and your path is set out for you by what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to finish high school, go to college, get a nice job, stay at that job and eventually retire, which you've saved for meticulously your whole life. And then you have these golden years. That's, that's the life you're supposed to live. How many of us here on this call are living that life? It, it comes down to fear and lack of, you know, yeah. to every people are generally make their decisions based out of fear, out of resisting or avoiding some kind of unpleasant imagined result. And unless it's like that, that old story of like, there, there's these creatures that live on the bottom of the river and everybody's holding on for dear life. And they're just struggling so hard to hold on to the bottom of the river. And then somebody falls accidentally and then they fly and they're terrified. And then they realize they're having such a time of their lives. And like all these people are like, Oh, what a poor little creature. You know, he, he's totally gone. Meanwhile, he's like flowing through life, flowing through the river and having a blast and then tries to tell everybody and, and like hooks on and is like, Hey, everybody. Actually, let go. It's a lot more fun. You'll have a great time. And everybody's like, no, terror, this and that. But it's you got to let go. You got to trust something and get rid of your fear. Again, you get rid of your fear of death and of suffering. You know, that's the only way to to move forward. Like, you, Jack, you did not become uh, the, the the survival podcast because, I mean, you might have had that, that that the stick of like being afraid of living that traditional life, you know, and and not not having the the results that you wanted. But you ended up like going and just going for it and creating the life of your dreams because you trusted it in yourself, your intuition, your intellect, and your ability to like be situationally aware and your ability to teach and tell stories. So it like, it's, you took your strengths and it turned it into your dream life, right? Yeah, absolutely. But so like entrepreneurship thing, where are we naturally entrepreneurs? And that's why most people in this country were at one time, or we naturally followers and the entrepreneurs of today are the non-followers. Like, so what I mean by that is, were most people entrepreneurs in the 1890s? Because that's your choice. You had to be. You did that, or you were really hungry and miserable, and everybody around you did it, so you just emulated what they did. Whereas, I, like everybody on this podcast tonight, and frankly, everybody we have on some level is an entrepreneur. We don't have anybody in the ULG group that's not on some level, an entrepreneur. I, when is the first time any of y'all did something entrepreneurial? For me, I was in like fourth grade and the cinnamon toothpick craze hit in grade school and all the kids had cinnamon toothpicks. So I would buy these little packs of cinnamon toothpicks for a quarter and I showed them to my dad and he's like, you know, all that is is a toothpick soaked in like cinnamon oil. I'm like, really? Where does one... <laughs> get this. He's like, Oh, I'll get you some. So he got me a little bottle of cinnamon oil. So I started making my own cinnamon toothpicks and instead of a little flat piece of crap toothpicks, I had like a good round, you know, real toothpicks. And I was selling my own little bags of cinnamon toothpicks for a dime versus a quarter in school when I was in fourth grade. And I got caught and the principal called my dad and my dad was like, so what's, what's, what's yeah. the problem? He's not selling LSD, right? Like, <laughs> Like, is he, is he shooting people in the face with these two bigs or something? And like, so that was like a natural thing for me. And I just wonder, like, is that is, and I've always, I've always kind of felt like people are held back and people are actually more like me than they are like the lives they live. But am I wrong? Am I wrong about that? Are most people not like that? And they only were like that historically because they had to be. Is Are most people the point, as soon as you make their life easy, 
screw it, I'm not doing it. Well, I think there are a lot of people like that. And I think it's it's back to the fear and the need for security, which we see playing out in the COVID pandemic, right? Yeah. I don't know. So I'll be careful. I don't know. So I'll be safe. And it's a natural instinct to want to survive. I think when you apply that then to the workplace, I don't know if running my own physical therapy firm is going to bring enough money in to pay the bills, to cover the mortgage, that my kids have enough food to eat, that we can afford health insurance, which in itself is a, a Ponzi scheme for security. Right. Um, it, it, so then they don't do the thing they feel driven to do on an entrepreneurial note because of that fear of the stable. It, it seems stable to have a paycheck every month even though it's a means of control. Not only that, and I, I, we're getting a little bit off topic, but not only that, but I think that uh, entrepreneurs, they don't, you're, you're, in a much, you're in a much better position to sort of minimize your own tax burden. And you can also minimize the tax burden of your employees. So that, that's another uh, mark in favor of Igor's entrepreneur rather than uh, wage work. Wage earners also have a portion of their earnings automatically deducted by the state. And I think the, the proper term for that is called slavery, right? The old slave owners used to keep 100% of your earnings and the new slave owners keep about 60%, depending on what state you live in. So the way to avoid that is to become an entrepreneur. And that's what Sam Conkin was talking about when he wrote about this in the New Libertarian Manifesto, exactly what, you know, X and Nicole were just saying and Jack. Yep. Okay, so... It is probably about time to wind down and Jack has disappeared from the screen. So I don't know if he's getting another drink or what, but let's go back to the original topic, getting around the technocracy. Think about like three things, two or three things you think everybody should build into their life that are really tangible and tactic, tact, like tactical. All right, I'm, I'm going to go for, I'll take the liberty to go first because I just wrote a couple articles about this and this is sort of my shtick. I tell people to become your own bank, grow your own food and get a 3D printer. So become your own bank, use cryptocurrency for exchange and precious metals for uh, savings purposes. Consider uh, different, uh, different alternatives to traditional USD investments and fiat currency investments like tokenized assets and securities, altcoins, BlockFi Wealth Management has a really good savings program that you can get up to 8.6 APY on crypto deposits. So be your own bank. Get a 3D printer. Um, you can buy them for cryptocurrency from me at 3dprintergobird.com. And grow your own food. That's one uh, one aspect of technology we didn't get to was how technology could be used to grow your own food. I, I'm really, I like things like uh you know, individuals building and creating their own aquaponic systems and aeroponic towers that sort of allow them to grow food on their own terms in their own sort of domicile. So those are the three things that I, I would recommend. X, what do you got? Two or three so, things to counteract tech. Yeah, growing your own food is a good one. Chickens, you know, being able to have your own eggs, having your own meat. Uh, setting up whatever space you have to grow. And I, I think, you know, uh, what Sal was saying, and I think Jack, built these crack key-ish like uh, hydroponic systems indoor. You can grow more than you can eat, right? 
Um, the other thing is, like like Sal said, the the investing in uh, alternative assets, cryptocurrencies, but also doing it smartly, right? So if you're investing, there are these things called ETNs, which are basically you put money together and put it in a pool. And then instead of investing that money, you take debt on that money. You borrow against that money as money as collateral. You keep that where it is, and then you trade on the borrowed money. And then you use that in some kind of instrument like, uh, you know, guaranteed returns with 20% or whatever. Right now we're doing trades, uh, with, with some really great smart guys on, with AI trading algorithms on an A, on, on crypto. And we're getting like 48% returns, you know, get a couple people together, figure that out, put it to put a pot together if you don't have it all on your own. And then, you know, do, and, and they're using the same kind of system as an ETN, but in crypto. So they're putting all the crypto into one spot, leveraging that out. And trading that borrowed money and then using that to pay back the interest on the loan, right? So it's, it's, it, you're keeping your initial investment safe. So there's ways to do it smart where you're not exposing yourself, let's say. And then the, the last thing would be having your mindset into freedom, having your, 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 your concrete daily practice on what do you want, not what do you want to avoid. Jack, two to three things. I'll give you four. In fact, you get four, he's going to break the rules. <laughs> have to break the rules. Number one, oh, squash. First, break the rules. <clears throat> you do not believe that the rules apply to you, and they don't. So start breaking the rules. Be smart about it. Don't go to jail for it, but yeah. break the rules. Uh, n- number one is entrepreneurship. And I'll give you an example of, of something with entrepreneurship that kind of blew me away when I realized that's what this dude was doing. I love watching YouTube videos. I wish all these guys would get over on Odyssey instead of YouTube, but that's where they are, so I watch them there, right? And I, I love fishing, so I watch these fishing guys. And I've always wondered, like, could somebody set up a business that's a guide service for fishing, surf fishing off the beach? And I always thought, that's stupid. Who the hell would pay somebody to stand there and watch them fish? You just go to the beach and fish. Well, one of the guys I found is a dude named Bama Beach Bum. This is in Alabama, Bama Beach Bum. So he fishes off the beach all the time. And I'm like, he has to have more than his YouTube channel. And so I looked up his website, and he charges people like for a four-hour fishing trip on the beach, 300 freaking dollars, which is average for like a, a boat-based guide. Hmm. And he's booked, like, I was like, I'm not coming, but if I wanted to book you, he's like, I can't book you until next month. Wow. So this guy literally goes fishing at the beach for money, and his entire marketing apparatus is he puts YouTube videos out. And he's good at what he does. I'm not saying anybody can do it. I'm saying, but anybody can probably get good enough to do it. Mm-hmm. So whatever it is you love, you can monetize it, and you should. Number right. two is we've talked a little bit tonight about going from producer to consumer. I heard that phrase used a few times uh, as the individual. But start thinking about changing your home from producer to consumer. I call it going from home to homestead. Most people think their house is their biggest asset, but it's actually their biggest Consumer to producer, right? Right. What's that? Consumer to producer, not producer to consumer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Consumer to producer. I got it backwards. I typed it backwards. So your home is generally a giant consumer. We think of it as an asset, but we actually, if you lose your job, you're, you're screwed, right? So you have to start thinking about how do I make my home be more than four walls and a roof? Most people, they work their ass off all day long to spend a third of their time sleeping in their home. And the rest of their time they spend away from their home in places they don't want to be, and all they're doing is servicing the debt against their home. Yeah. So 
my home provides so much more for me. It's my home office. It's a tax deduction. It produces food for me. It makes me giant squashes, right? It makes me fish. It makes me chickens. It makes me eggs. Uh, it makes me a place that I can run workshops at and make more money running two workshops a year than I used to make as an employee just from that one component alone. So make your home into a producer for you. Next, develop skills. Hard skills, things you can actually do, whether it's learning to use CAD programs so you can use Sal's printers to make stuff or whether it's learning how to start a fire or flint napping or learn how you should be able to do a hundred things well, not great, but well that actually produce something and make something happen. That, that alone, that way, cause you don't know what the hell they're going to develop next. But when you have skills, you have tools. And when you have tools, you have adaptability. The last is real estate. Something Nicole knows a little bit about. If you're not in the real estate business, you should be. You know, some of the richest people in the world, people like Ray Kroc was one of the richest people in the world. And when he spoke at a, a college graduation ceremony, he took some of the, uh, you know, like elite members of the class out for some beers at a bar. And they said, well, what, he said to them, what business am I in? And they're all like, well, everybody, everybody here knows who you are. You found a McDonald's, you're in the hamburger business. I'm not in the hamburger business. I'm in the real estate business. Hamburgers buy real estate. So whether you're a farmer that uses a farm to pay for the 40 acres or the 400 or the 4,000 acres, whether you're a landlord on some level, you should be leveraging. That was Xavier's word. You should be leveraging something against real estate. And if you're not doing that, you're missing the number one thing that makes more millionaires in the United States than any other country in the world. Real estate is something that we have an inherent right to control and own in this country that many countries, you don't have that right. You don't have that ability. And it's the number one thing that brought settlers to America. People think it was our flag or our dream or the snake flag or whatever. It was the fact that you could, at a time when people were still serfs, you could come here and you could own 40 acres of dirt. So leverage real estate because real estate leveraging leads to wealth. And if you have enough wealth, you can get out of anything. Yeah, that's true. Mm. Okay. So my things are basically no different from all y'all's things, but I do think the, I think I'd like to go deeper into the mindset piece that X brought up. And that is build your life to feed your heart and your spirit and your mind and that if you build it that way first and foremost you will find that it's easier to make the choice not to stay at a dead-end job it's easier to make the choice to start turning your home into a homestead you will find it's easier to take that leap of faith to just accept cryptocurrency for a transaction and see where it goes i think when you start with the spirit and you affect your mindset, everything else follows. So those are my thoughts. I do have um, somebody on YouTube asking a quick rundown of where to find you again. So Jack, where are you when you're not here on YouTube with Unloose the Goose? I am at Nine Mile Farm hanging out with my ducks. No, I am at thesurvivalpodcast.com or thesurvivalpodcast.com depending on what part of the world you're from, whether you say the or the. And uh, if you check me out there, you'll be able to find me everywhere else that I'm at. If you want to get with me on social media, 
Uh, there's a, a web, uh, or a, a tab on the survivalpodcast.com that says, uh, uh, get social and click on that and you can find me on all of the uh, social media that I'm on. It's not Twitter or YouTube or a, uh, it's not, it's not Twitter or Facebook any longer, but you can find me there. Okay. Sal? Salvivores.com. Um, you can find all my stuff. Uh, I'm on whatever social media app you're using is I'm on there. And of course, check out 3dprintergobird.com. Okay. X. I am at FironGlobalPartners.com. So that's Firon, P-H-I-R-E-O-N, GlobalPartners.com. And then on social media, uh, at Xavier Hawk on pretty much everything. And, um, I'm considering starting a podcast. You can find me on XavierHawk.net and I will be talking about stuff. A lot of stuff. wild stuff. Yeah, mostly visionary shit. Like this is what the future could be if we uh, all got our act together. Podcast like on visionary shit. Love it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Nicole Sauce at livingfreeintennessee.com. And if you're wanting to connect with the whole gaggle, UnloosetheGoose.com has in the top navigation community connections. That is just places to find us like the infamous Telegram group that we get an email about every single week asking us where it is. There's actually a link on our website about that. So if you want to link up with us there or we are on MeWe, there is a Facebook group. It's becoming less and less active as the shit show that is Facebook starts. Did you hear what they did to Babylon B, by the way? What? They, they, um, they fact check it. No, they fact checked it and definanced is something (laughs) unless they would change the content of an article that was a satirical article today. Oh God. Today, today, I think it was today or yesterday. Yeah. We tweeted them or something. Yeah. They were like, you have to change this in your article and don't tell people we said that or we're going to defund you. And they said, screw you. Yeah. Good for them. Yeah. So that was doing our telegram. There's so many cool opportunities that have come up. I've I've been able to like get business to people and all kinds of cool stuff. So join the telegram. We can all talk this. uh, Give us a like and make sure you subscribe. Yeah. And, and the other thing that really helps the podcast grow is if you give us a review wherever you're listening to the podcast, that would be awesome. But especially Um, iTunes, especially (laughs) iTunes (laughs) because technocracy, but Anyway, any last words before we go, guys? We've grown, haven't we? We we've gone from like a couple thousand uh downloads to like over three, four, right? Yep. That's awesome. Definitely grown. I, I do want to say one thing about the uh the, the reviews on, on iTunes and why it would really help us if you would do this. It was a huge thing that helped me early on with my podcast to grow. And it's more true now. Mm-hmm. There are dozens of uh, distribution services for podcasts today that are actually used. And there really weren't many back when I started. Most of them pull from iTunes. And even though you can review podcasts on, you know, last FM and things like that, many of them actually to fluff up their content, grab all the content from iTunes and pull it over to their side. So you can add to it, but that's where they get the bulk so if you would give us guys a, a review on iTunes, you would help us throughout all those aggregate services. So please do that for us. Please, please, please. Awesome. please. Thank you. Go out, be the goose. <laughs> be the <laughs> goose. Unloose the goose. We'll take no. Notice.